Hi, this is Giles. I appreciate you tuning in to this podcast and thank you for supporting our ministry campaigns. It's my prayer that these podcasts will help you to experience God's very best in every area of your life. So let's talk about clothing. I don't think we touched on that last time, did we? Um, clothing. And th- this is kind of an interesting area. And remember, I'm, I'm talking to you guys as leaders, as evangelists, as pastors and things. Um, because in the end, you guys are going to set the standard. You follow what I'm saying here. And um, so if, if um, you know, what, what, in the end, what you wear, the others will wear. They'll follow your lead. You tend to find that what's in the pulpit ends up in the pews you follow um now i i know this is an area that we could you know there's so much kind of religion and and really well religiosity about this i'm saying what i'm saying with care but i think it's really important a really important area we have to remember as preachers that people are going to look at us for an extended period of time crowds are going to look at us and often for an hour two hours, three hours, you know, and every week. And so if your appearance, you know, is inappropriate, that will actually cause a degree of discomfort for for your people. It really will. And so you need to have a a level of good sense here, okay? And um, so just thinking together about the main principles of clothing, Clothing is firstly to protect, okay? Protect your skin, body from harm and from cold or from heat. Secondly, it's to cover, okay? And thirdly, it's to value or to respect. So let me just deal with, well, the first one's really easy to understand. You know, we wear different types of clothing depending on the environment, you know, because the sun's too hot or, you know, some of us today, Collins and I are in our jumpers because we're in the cold. You know, the rest of you are in T-shirts. Okay, so that that makes sense. But the second one is really important as a preacher, and that is covering. Whoever comes onto your platform, you want to make sure their bodies are covered. Because let's be honest, the flesh is the flesh. And so, you know, I mean, I've noticed this. Worship teams come up onto the platform, and sometimes you have, you know, young ladies with, with clothes that are so tight They look like they've been sprayed onto them. (laughs) And and so they're showing every curve and every contour, you know, from top to bottom, literally. Uh, Or or they're revealing a lot of flesh. And, you know, let's be honest, we've got a lot of young guys, even old guys in, in the crowd, you know, and they're trying to worship God. And they're trying to come into the presence of God. And they've got some girl, you know, dancing around in front of them. It's kind of difficult to be holy in an environment like that, or to at least to keep your eyes on the Lord when you got, you know, things bouncing around in front of you. Uh, So, so, you know, you, you know, just how can you have, how can you have an anointed environment if everybody's thinking of fleshy things? You know, so you just got to be, you know, really good sense. And I mean, we'll talk more about worship, but you have to be careful as a pastor, as a leader, because your worship team are up there a lot. They're setting a standard. They're setting the spiritual atmosphere. And some of these kids, the only reason they're in the worship team is because they can play a guitar. 
you know, it's not because they're really that spiritual. You just, you just desperately needed somebody who could sing in tune or to strum the right notes. And now they're leading and now they're wearing clothes, you know, and, and, you know, that are showing everything. So you have to, be, you know, I think without being religious, you have to set some standards. And, um, uh, I mean, I remember when we had the church in England, Titus will remember, may remember this. We had a really young, passionate guy who loved to leave worship. But he would always wear these T-shirts that were just too short. And so they, <laughs> he would lift his hands and he'd show this kind of hairy belly. <laughs> it was so off-putting. Now, that wasn't attractive. You know, there are some who show some flesh and it's attractive. You know, but there are some who show flesh and it's really off-putting. It really is. You know, obviously I'm a man, so, so you know, that different things attract. But for the ladies, there are things that attract and there are things that don't attract. So we need a real degree of good sense. Again, some guys wear shirts just to show their muscles. Now, you kind of understand that in the world. But in the pulpit, if you need, some guy needs to be showing off all his muscles all the time. You, you kind of wonder who he's trying to point people to, to himself or to the Lord. So let's just get that right in our minds. You know, clothing is for covering because the, we live in a fallen world. That's why God gave clothing, took away nakedness because sin had come in. So, I mean, I've often said this, if the clothes you wear cause you to constantly be worried about your, what you're wearing, then you're wearing the wrong thing. Uh, you can know if you've chosen the right clothes as a preacher because you forget about them when you're on the platform. If you're constantly thinking about how am I dressed, you're dressed wrong. Okay, so you want to find clothes that you put on and then you forget about it. It's easier to take off a tie because you're overdressed than to put on a jacket because you're underdressed, if you follow. So in general, I, I go on the conservative side and then I'm safe. I never like to be underdressed. You, you know what I'm saying? Because otherwise I become self-conscious. And when you're self-conscious, you can't flow in the anointing because you can't be God-conscious. You're thinking of yourself. You need to be able to forget yourself. And so if you're remembering your clothes the whole time, either because you're so, so cool, so stylish, you know, look at, you know, and like, I hope people like my latest style. My Lord, how can you minister if that's going on? Or if you're there and you're thinking, boy, I wish I'd worn a jacket. That's difficult too. So it's better to overdress than to underdress. Okay. Now I'm not here. I mean, each one can have their own style, their own, their own, you know, fashion. But just don't make church a fashion show. Some churches are like a fashion show. And that leaves people really uncomfortable, actually. Because what happens if they're not fashionable? You know, there's always, you're always in a group of people. You're going to have a few that are really, really fashionable. Uh, but if you go down that route, then everybody's not really fashionable. They begin feeling like second-class citizens. You know, I, I'm not in the elite. And so you don't need to be the most fashionable guy in church. You don't need to go down that route. You just need to cover yourself 
and look half decent, you know. And you can, I mean, you can wear whatever clothes you like, whatever color you like, etc. But let me just say this, there are conservative colors as well, but I think are more appropriate. Again, no rules here. But things like white and gray and blue and black, and these are classic colors, you know, that you're always safe in. You're always safe. You're wearing a <laughs> multicolored shirt all the time. And, you know, then I know in Africa it's different. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that because cultures, you have to understand the culture you're into. I mean, I remember when I first went to Nigeria to minister and the people we were invited by, uh, he's a, he was an apostle of a large church network in Nigeria and he had married a white lady years before. And so they had this beautiful mixed family and uh, they invited Sylvia and I just after we got married to go down and do a crusade in Nigeria. And, uh, but I remember very clearly them talking to us and saying, look, in Nigeria, women always wear dresses or skirts. Don't, women don't wear trousers. They don't wear trousers to church here. And so, of course, we respected that, that culture. Now, you know, so, so you have to sort of get a feel for where you are as well. Because, again, why make your clothes a stumbling block? You've got to get the, you know, the only thing that should be a stumbling block for people is the gospel. That's, you know, everything we should do all things to all men to win them. And so we got to get our clothes right, too. And talking of trousers, because that's kind of a funny one, because there are there's obviously a clear um, directive. I think it's in the book of Deuteronomy that men shouldn't wear women's clothes and women shouldn't wear men's clothes and all this stuff. And so some people say, well, therefore, women shouldn't wear trousers because trousers <laughs> are. Uh, uh, a man's clothes. Well, I disagree with that, to be honest. And I'll tell you why I disagree. Because there is such thing as women's trousers. But actually, women's trousers are different than men's trousers. And that's, again, the point. If a woman is wearing skin-tight jeans on the platform that look like they've been sprayed on, again, I think that's inappropriate for a woman to wear men's jeans. There are women's jeans that are looser, <laughs> you know, that don't show everything. And that's much more appropriate. And let's remember this, guys, that God, God created man, but he formed woman. Okay. So if you think about it, God made man like a block, like a, like a brick. That's why we're kind of square. But then he took that brick and he, cut, he, he formed these curve, another, a curvier one. And he called that woman. So women are much more attractive than men. We're just, we're just bricks. You know, the beauty is in the woman. Uh, but you don't want the woman to show all the curves to everyone. Hallelujah. I'm sure you understand what I'm saying. So the point is this. You should be comfortable. People are going to look at you. If you're constantly having to pull your dress down, you know, a lady's constantly pulling her dress down, or a man is constantly, I don't know, re-sorting out his clothes while he's on the platform. That shows the clothes are wrong, okay? So let's make those changes. Um, and the third principle, of course, is the principle of honor with clothing. So I like to say this, um, you wouldn't, I'm, I'm thinking, Titus and I are feeling a long way from, from England at, at the moment because it's the Queen's 
uh, diamond jubilee, 70 years of Her Majesty's reign of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth. Oh, and so there's so many celebrations. And you'll notice all the, 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 the ceremonies that are going on. And anybody who gets close to the Queen, notice how they're dressed. They're really dressed to the nines, we say. <laughs> dressed up, really top, top, top. You know, all the soldiers and their medals and their suits and that and that. And anybody, they're all, I mean, even the young princes and everybody. Why? Because they're honoring the Queen. You, you get the point. You wouldn't turn up to Buckingham Palace in shorts and flip-flops. Mm -mm -mm. That what if you did, you're dishonoring the queen. Same at weddings. Sometimes you have people who go to weddings in a pair of jeans. That's a real dishonor. And I know sometimes people at wedding, you know, people say, ah, oh, come dressed as you are. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Don't come, don't listen to that. You're a pastor, you're a minister, apart from me. You represent the kingdom. You know, if you go to a wedding, you put on a suit and tie and a white shirt. You know, and, and there's so many principles. I mean, I was at, at a wedding recently and, and people don't understand these things, but women at weddings, they need to dress really nicely, but actually in subdued colors. Why subdued colors? Because they mustn't outshine the bride. It's the bride's day. You see what I mean? And men should wear suits and plain shirts and a, again, a subdued tie. Why? Because it's the groom's day. He's the one who's meant to stand out. She's the one that's meant to stand, not you. And so there are all these principles of honor involved. And, and of course, we're representing the king. So you can understand the logic that I'm using here. So I know today is a day where a lot of modern churches, they're just all into their ripped jeans and, you know, flip flops or whatever it is. And but it shouldn't be in the pulpit. You hear what I'm saying? It shouldn't be in the pulpit because you're representing, you're an ambassador from a different kingdom, okay? And, you know, fine, you can wear that in the street if you want to. Even that, I think, you you know, you're a minister wherever you go. You know, you, wherever you go. If I, you know, if I go out publicly, I cover myself. I don't just walk around town in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. I don't, because I'm a minister, I'm an evangelist, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a representative of God. Now, if I'm at home with my family, of course I put on my shorts and my t-shirt. I mean, that, of course I do, because I'm, I'm, I'm with my family now. It's a different environment. I can relax, I can expose myself more. You know, you should only expose yourself to people you have intimacy with. You follow, and depending on the level of intimacy, you expose more. I'm talking physically here, I'm not talking about your heart and your mind. So there's only one person you should be fully naked in front of, and of course that's your spouse. You should never be naked with, even in front of your children, you should never be naked, you follow? But you can be much more casually dressed in front of your family. And if you have friends over, of course that's appropriate too, if they're coming over to have a chat and you're at home. But every time you can see that depending on the level of intimacy, you then have to clothe appropriately. But when you're on a platform at a church, you're in a public place. You're not in a private place. So the idea of dressing as you would in your house in the church, to me, is just complete lack of good sense. It denies this principle. You follow? 
whenever you're in a public place, dress more formally to cover yourself. Whenever you're in a private place with close family or friends, then you can dress down. Amen. Hallelujah. Enough said on that. I think you all get the point. Let's quickly talk about music, background music, not worship. I'm not talking about worship here, um, but just a couple of pointers about black, uh, about, uh, remember we're talking about the church service. Music sets an atmosphere, okay? Background music will set a tone. Sometimes to get people to relax when they go into an environment, to have background music already playing will help them relax and open up their hearts. You know, there's music that helps people relax. There's music that people already creates a spiritual environment. I think, I think you should think about having background music playing when people arrive at services already, before even the worship starts, okay? So they can sit, they can prepare their hearts. They have that spiritual atmosphere. Have you noticed in your home, if you just put on some quiet worship in the background, even instrumental worship, just quietly have it playing during the day in your office, in your lounge, wherever it is, it will create a much more spiritual atmosphere for the whole day. It really will make you much more focused on the things of God. So music, background music can set an atmosphere, okay? And it needs to be used wisely. Let me say this as well. Um, some preachers like to use background music when they are uh, when they are, are ministering, okay, to again create that that sort of atmosphere. Um, now you might like that. You might like that, and it does create an atmosphere. It really does. Um, there's just a couple of things to watch out for. You got to, you know, it depends on who's playing that music. I travel a lot, so sometimes I've got guys, and all they do is play funeral music. So instead of creating an atmosphere of faith, it's like everybody starts sleeping or wishing they were dead. It's terrible. It's so dull. <laughs> so watch out who's playing, number one. Number two, you'll find that if somebody's playing music, you'll tend to follow them rather than them following you. So you might arrive and you're burning. You want to preach. You want to fire. You want to go for it. And the guy's playing a very soft, slow, gentle background music. So instead of you now preaching and, and you know, you got a big sermon to preach, seven points to get through. But because of the slow, soft music, instead of becoming a preacher, now you'll start talking in a very slow voice to help people understand. And so everything will slow down. And so who's leading who now? I mean, you're, you've got the guy on the keyboard to help you, but actually, you know, to follow you. But now you're following him because of his choice of music. Do you follow? So be aware of these dynamics. I think what I've discovered mostly is that I, when I minister, <laughs> those of you who know me in my meetings, I like to use music. I, 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 even if the worship team has spent an hour worshiping, often I get up and worship again. And I'll be honest, why? Because so often the worship isn't anointed. I'll be honest. We've got some team of kids up there who are singing rock songs for the Lord. But I, I want to I create a spiritual atmosphere for miracles. And so um, 
It's another conversation, but I believe all of us as evangelists and pastors, we need to know how to lead worship. And when you see, when I sing, I know God's anointed my voice. And so what I'm doing is I'm throwing my mantle, my anointing upon the people because it literally, I mean, Titus will testify, you know, I sing a song and boosh, the anointing comes. And now people are ready for the word. Often when I get up, there's no anointing present, even though we've had an hour of worship. Seriously. So in a sense, I have to start the meeting again. Okay. So you can use that as a strategy, as a tool. Okay. Um, but really when I'm talking, focusing more on background music, uh, often what I like to do is when I preach with no music, okay, or I teach with no music, but when I want to go into ministry time, okay, when I want to do an appeal, when I'm coming to a conclusion and want a response from the people, then I call up the guys to play some background music, okay, and that helps to kind of bring the meeting to a climax, to a response, get people to focus, all right, so that's what I tend to do, you know, have that sort of moment towards the end of the message where the, where the team comes back up. Now, let me just say this, though. I don't depend upon them. My ministry does not depend upon the music of other people. My ministry depends on my anointing, not on theirs. Jesus never called up a worship team every time he did an appeal for salvation or for healings. You know, there. can you imagine Jesus there? you know, doing an evangelistic crusade and all these lepers and, and paralytics in front of him and, and sinners there needing to be saved. And he's preached away and, and, and he says, right now, who wants to, who wants to be saved and healed? And, 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 and then he says, no, stop, stop. Before you make a decision, let me call up the worship team to create the environment. He never did that. Never, never once. Why? Because he depended upon his own anointing. Okay. So you shouldn't depend upon that for yourself, okay? The reason I allow music in ministry time is not for me. It's for the people's sake, okay, to help them concentrate, to help them kind of come into that place of faith. That's all I'm doing, all right? So, but these are tools that we can use. If you don't have music, I've had many crusades, and I remember being out in Sri Lanka a number of times, boy. I mean, uh, Prudvi's going to laugh a bit, but some of the, the worship, you know, the style of music in India and, and in Sri Lanka, I don't know about Pakistan because I've not been up there, but all your countries, you all have your own style of music. You know, Indian music is very different, most anyhow. Isn't that right, Prudvi? Very different than Western music. I mean, I remember doing a crusade in some tiny village in Sri Lanka and we just banged a kind of, a tom-tom drum and everybody sort of shrilled away <laughs> it didn't sound much like i mean it's just a bunch of us sort of just banging drums <laughs> what really sounded like a cacophony for me a kind of orchestra when without a conductor it's just a noise but wow the anointing came down so strong that literally on the front row there were all these witches you know, who would, who dominated that village with palm reading and all. And when we began to pray, you know, to, to, to shout and bang these drums, the anointing came down and boosh, they all fell forward on their faces. 
under the power of God to show the villagers that their God needed to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was just terrific. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's the anointing that counts. That's my point. Yeah, African music is the best for sure. Sure, Hammett is saying that. I agree. Um, all right, so background music's uh, something to really get right and to think about. Okay, let's quickly, because time is flying, let's talk <laughs> about timings. <laughs> timings. Um, two things. If you're holding regular meetings, make sure you get your timings right. Be clear about your timings. You know, we start at this time and we end at this time, okay? We start at 8 and we finish at 10. We start at 10, we finish at 12. Most Sunday services, certainly within the churches that I walk with, they're, they're around two hours long. They're around, some are two and a half, some maybe one and a half, but around two and a half. Most cell group meetings as well, around one and a half hours, okay? Being honest, you know, fellowship time at the end can go on longer, but really the meeting in itself, an hour to an hour and a half. Um, and I think it's important, well, a number of things. I think it's really important to start on time. If you don't start on time, then you dishonor the people who arrive on time. So you set a bad precedent. So if you say you start at 10, start at 10, no matter how many people are there. Because if you don't, then you set a precedent that you will only start when people arrive. And so people will always arrive late. And so now you, you're a slave to their timings rather than to your program. And like I said, also, then you dishonor those who are actually the hungriest. You always, in, as a leader, you always want to honor those who are most committed, not the least committed, the most committed. So if they're there on time, if you're most committed, start with him, okay? Because he's the one who's actually, he or she is the one who's really going to make a difference in your church. The people who are arriving late, it's, that shows their level of commitment. So they're very welcome. You're always welcome. We don't criticize. We don't condemn. Okay. But this is the time we start with the fervent ones, with the fiery ones, with the committed ones. Okay. There's always pressure on you, especially you guys who are starting churches or if you're doing a crusade, there's always pressure to wait for the crowd to arrive don't do that okay hold your word and then when people realize you're serious that you always start at eight o'clock then they'll start getting there at eight o'clock do you follow second thing to say is try to end on time okay because then again you're honoring people's timing okay people want to plan their day so if people know that your worship service is two hours long then make it two hours long all right Otherwise, you're messing with people's commitments to other things. That said, most, most members okay, of our churches are going to understand if occasionally you go on longer than normal. You know what I mean? Occasionally, there's a real move of God, a really anointed message. And, you know, and so you, you, know, you say to the people, look, I know it's, you know, we're, Normally, we'd finish around this time, but there's a few more things I want to say, and you go for it. And, and normally, people are absolutely fine with that. You can go on an extra half hour, especially if it's Communion Sunday or something like that. People appreciate that and understand that. My point is this, if that happens all the time, 
If it happens all the time, then people realize that you're not a man of your word. You said it was from eight to 10, but it's always 10.30. So what do you do in that case? Instead of saying we finish at 10, say we finish at 10.30. You can tell people right from the outset, our worship service is not two hours long, it's two and a half hours long. And then you're at peace, you know? And then if you finish early, you're in credit with the people rather than in debt with the people. You followed the principle, I'm sure, okay? So be, be careful with that. Obviously, I'm not talking about crusades. I'm not talking about revival meetings. I'm not talking about, um, uh, uh, you know, special events. They have their own program, own timetable. Do what you like with them. I'm talking about regular meetings now, all right? Some churches use that kind of countdown clock. That's a good idea because then people who arrive early, there's a sense of expectation. You know, the clock counts down from, I don't know, half an hour until one minute and then the countdown and then you start on time that's really cool that shows that you you're somebody who appreciates the time of others all right and the only other thing to say in this in this section is make your transitions between different parts of the meeting uh make them quick and efficient sometimes churches they take forever you know the between between moments ah oh, the pastor opens and then let's call up the worship team and the worship team drift in from different parts of the building and and then we have worship and then at the end of the worship the pastor's somewhere else and he has to walk back up onto the stage and that's another two minutes and then let's have the the announcements and it, every, between, there's a lot of dead time between active time eliminate that you know the worship team should be behind you as you open in the meeting ready to go amen and we're off and as soon as and they're 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 leading the worship but the pastor's back on the platform ready to you know to take the microphone and, and they sing that last song and note and you're in etc make it efficient people appreciate that all right um and 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 you know there's so many areas of church service i think where we just go on too long or do things too slowly you know, and even preachers need to learn how to be succinct, how to say lots in few words. Okay. You can get better at that. Everybody can. If you're interviewing people, don't give them the microphone. They can go on and on and on and on. <laughs> you hold the microphone, <laughs> you control the timing. All right. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Quickly now, ushers, or I think, yeah, we all say ushers in English. Maybe you have, a, you know, the team of, of, of servants who are working in the church service. Let's just think quickly about that. First impressions make a big difference. Okay, I've been to churches where the ushers stand on the door and they look like bouncers from a nightclub. Wow, I feel terrified just walking in they stare at me you know they you know i don't know you just feel afraid to go in through the doors i've also been to churches where it, the car parking's such a mess you don't know where to go what to do okay i've been i've driven into car church car parks and then left again i haven't even bothered going to the church because i can't find anywhere to, to park don't know where to go no usher no directive so what am I saying? You've got to be professional and you've got to put on a smile. Okay, make people feel welcomed, like they're special. 
people need to feel valued if you think you know if you if you just undervalue people then what are you doing in ministry uh people are the most valuable asset you want to treat everybody as a child of the most high god a precious person you want to make them feel so valued from the moment they come near the church okay and like i say first impressions count and so often the you know the first people you're going to meet a visitor is going to meet is not you you're a nice pastor you're a nice evangelist you've got great things to say but they don't meet you first they meet that guy on the door who hasn't smiled for the last three years. You're hearing what I'm saying. You, you, they meet that lady on the door who's in the middle of, you know, some sort of problem at home and is just, you know, throwing <laughs> her emotions on people. You need to train your, your, your ushers, create the environment. People come to put on a smile, to give them a hug or a high five, <coughs> to give them a prophetic word, say today's going to change your life. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, and, and, you know, just help people open up their hearts and feel, feel valued. Amen. So a, a warm welcome and a hearty hello goes a long, long way. I mean, talking of weddings, I've noticed this. That if the bride smiles, everybody smiles. If the bride's relaxed, everybody relaxes. So, you know, again, it's your team that's going to set the environment. These guys are your representatives. Children love to be in the presence of Christ. You know, but children don't like to be in the presence of religious people, uh, uh, tempestuous people, moody people. No. So why did children want to be in the Lord's meetings? I think because, you know, he was just the happiest guy. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter one that God anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness more than his brethren, more than his companions. So if you wanted to know who Jesus was in the crowd, it wasn't because of the clothes he wore. It wasn't because of a light shining on his forehead. Is because he was the happiest guy there. He had the oil of joy more than everyone else. So, you know, you've got to, you're, you're ushering, I'm really just talking about your ushering team here. You know, make sure that they're warm and they're welcoming. Paul talks about how we should greet brothers with a holy kiss, Romans 16, 16. Okay. Now, there's a big difference between our, holy kiss and a Brazilian kiss, I can tell you, all right? Um, and every culture's got its way of greeting one another. I mean, here in Brazil, I'm, I'm British, boy. I, uh, I was kind of shocked by the amount of pe people who would hug me and touch me and kiss me. And I was like, wow, we, we Brits, we don't do, we do handshakes. <laughs> but every culture's got its way. But the point is this, make, do something that's warm, that's hearty, uh, within the limits of good sense. You should never have girls kind of kissing guys or even hugging guys, you know, full, especially if they don't know them, you know, that kind of greet the person on your side with a full body hug. Come on. You've got a young girl who's there and kind of shy. 
suddenly there are men all around her wanting to give her a hug. She's not coming back to your church. Hello? Hello? She ain't coming back, I tell you, just because of the hug, because of the kiss. So don't, don't, you know, as a pastor, you need to make sure that your people feel comfortable, you know, not, not embarrassed, not constrained. I hate, I mean, I'm a pastor. I live in churches. I'm constantly in church. And I hate feeling, when when a pastor makes me feel uncomfortable, it's the most terrible thing. It really, I don't even like standing up in a crowd, you know, as a visitor. Some pastors say, oh, the visitors stand up. My Lord, I don't. I, I hide. I refuse. You know, my wife says, no, come on, we're visitors. I say, I don't care. I'm not getting up in this crowd. Obviously, if I'm preaching, that's a different thing. But as a visitor, Lord, I don't want everybody coming up. I want to be anonymous. You're hearing what I'm saying? Because and I think you embarrass people by doing that. You really do. So try and make people comfortable. Don't, again, a lot depends on your culture. Okay. But if people feel uncomfortable, they don't come back. All right. Hallelujah. And then quickly, I'm going to talk more about this perhaps in the next time, but we're talking about preparing the environment in this first section. So let me just talk, talk about this. You as a pastor, need to be prayed up and warmed up. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, obviously, prayer makes all the difference to the spiritual environment, but I'm not going to talk about prayer right now. It's a, you know, something in its own right. You all know about it. But when, but one thing to say is this about prayer, is that you have to think of prayer differently. If you can pray for an hour before the service, hallelujah, okay. But actually, it might not be the best thing, or you might not have been able to pray for an hour before the service, okay. So sometimes you've got, you know, you've got a lot of other things to do before the service. You don't want to be getting up on the platform feeling condemned. I talk about the prayer tank. What do I mean by that? Imagine you have a tank that you can fill up with water, or a prayer tank you can fill up with prayer. You Fill that up any time. It doesn't need to be an hour before the service. You can fill that up during the week, you know, during your personal prayer times, during prayer meetings and other times. And so you're always filling up your prayer tank. And then you're ready to preach in season and out of season. Some of the best messages I've ever preached have actually been when I haven't prayed before a meeting. Kind of sounds strange, but it's true. And it's not to say that I don't pray. I pray, but I just didn't pray before the meeting. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because i got a prayer tankful. So wherever I am, I can draw on the tank. You're hearing what I'm saying? Um, but the best thing, actually, for a pastor before the service is to be relaxed on the one hand, okay? And that might mean literally chilling out. Just relax. Just meditate on the goodness of God rather than stressing out. Because you're going to reflect Uh, all that's in you to your people when you preach so if you're stressed they'll get stressed if you're relaxed they'll relax you following but also beyond relaxing let me just finish by saying be warmed up be warmed up you don't want to get in that pulpit as if you've just got out of bed lord have mercy with a croaky voice trying to remember what you're talking about no 
you know, even in sports, uh, you know, sports, the athletes warm up before they race. That's just good sense. Uh, you know, there's an incredible story, I think, when Hungary won the football, World Cup football years ago. They were not the best team. But what happened was they would score goals in the first half against everyone. And they ended up winning the cup. This was back in the 50s, was it, time? I can't remember the date. And what they discovered was that the Hungarian team would spend 40 minutes warming up playing football before they played the game. And so, and the other teams would just come out onto the field cold. And so when, they, when the other teams discovered that, of course, everybody started warming up for the game. It just changed the game. So now everybody comes on already sweating kind of thing. And so it's a different level now. But I was thinking, you know, if people do that to, for sports, then so much more we should do it for spiritual things. So you want to make sure you're warmed up as a preacher. I remember watching videos of Oral Roberts, the evangelist, years ago. When he would hit the platform, it was like a wave of power would come with him. He would grab the microphone with such violence. It was incredible to watch. You could almost see the crowd swoon he would grab it and just go now how did he manage to do that not by just sort of getting out of bed five minutes before he'd been in the back room i believe praying up or or practicing his sermon or just declaring promises so that when he got the microphone bang the atmosphere changed he arrived warmed up that's my point never go to the pulpit if you're not warmed up okay or Rarely do that. Only, only do that if, if you've been traveling all night and that was the only thing. God, you know, God's grace is sufficient, but in normal circumstances. And what I found actually really interestingly, I was doing a mentorship group here in Brazil um, on Sunday mornings early. And what I found was that if I went to preach after this mentorship group, I was already flowing in revelation and anointing. So the fact that I'd done the mentorship group earlier meant that I would preach better. You get it. So practice your sermons, preach to yourself, preach to your wife, preach to your dog, <laughs> mentorship group, but get the word flowing in you before you hit the pulpit. I think that's the principal thing. Okay. And you'll find that uh, your sermons will come out with much more power. Hallelujah. If you have never personally accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray these words after me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins and ask you to wash me clean with your blood. Give me a new heart and a fresh start. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Now that you have prayed that prayer, we believe that you are saved. Get in touch with us at thegreatmission.org to receive your free digital booklet, Welcome to the Family. The ministry of Giles Stevens is maintained by the prayers and financial support of monthly partners. More and more people are looking up rather than around for answers to life and are open to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever the ministry is holding campaigns, Thousands are responding and seeing real-life transformation. 
Would you consider joining us taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations by a monthly contribution, no matter the amount? Friends, together we can fill God's throne room with people from every tribe, nation and tongue. That's the vision we have for all of our partners, that in the future when we stand before the Lord, we will be able to celebrate together when we see people from all nations coming in as a result of your support. So if you'd like to become a partner of the ministry, please visit us at www.thegreatmission.org. Thanks again for tuning in. Remember to subscribe and to share this podcast with a friend so that God's kingdom can keep growing in you and through you. God bless you.